a wise man once stated, our stories are meant to be carried, not kept. They're meant to be told so that anybody that is going through, they can get through. Ministerial nuggets from the homie. Let's go. What's going on, great people? I didn't see y'all there. It's the homie, the one and only Ashton Reynolds. You caught me getting my read on. Miss Audrey Richmond, shout out to you. This is her book right here, Uncloned Marketing. How to challenge the norms with profitable marketing campaigns. Hey, she got the gems in here. It's very impactful, very inspiring, very enriching. Three components that describe episode two of the Be The Change podcast, where I sit and converse with my ministerial partner, the neighborhood big bro, William Lowe, who is the host of The White Room. I had the honor to be the honorary host to host on his platform so that everybody who tunes in and listens to his platform can actually get to know exactly who he is. This is for everybody here. The transparency, the realness, the tears, the trials, the tribulations, William Lowe then, William Lowe now, you will see the total comparison and you will see exactly why he's so passionate about doing what thus says the Lord. Episode two. Episode two starts right now. Start the countdown. Let's go. room the honorary host the home of the one and only ashton reynolds is in the building live and in full effect to make sure that everybody knows exactly how important jesus is inside of your life and you already know who the guest is the honorary guest the one who normally does the hosting but he said let me sit in the guest seat real quick because everybody's asking me about my story my testimony so let me sit in this special guest seat for a moment to let you know my story straight up without further ado ladies and gentlemen the one and only william Lowe. what's up sir <laughs> what's going on my brother it's an honor to even have you on here man you you just don't understand like bro when i when i reached out to you about this i i can tell you like i'm, I'm gonna be straight up transparent i was like i was nervous the lord was like man it's, it's time for you to be in the seat this time i need them to know who you are you know you're you're always being the one being pushed out in the front so this time I need you to step in the background and let the people see who you are and know who you are. You know, give them a taste of of, of not Willow, but give them a taste of William Lowe. You know what I'm saying? The the real me, the the me that's deep down inside that nobody rarely gets to see. You know, and it's it's such an honor to be able to have you to be able to stand with me and witness this. So I'm here. All glory be to God. <laughs> straight up, straight up, man. So what we're going to do is start off right there. Here's the first question. So we can go ahead and dive deep into exactly what it is that you want to talk about. 
So despite all the accolades, despite all the music, despite all the movies, despite all the awards and accomplishments that you have achieved in your lifetime, in your own words, who is William Lowe? Uh, that's a very good question. Um, William Lowe is the epitome of humility. Mm. William Lowe doesn't mind being in the background. I don't have to be in the forefront, even though I've been prophesied over since since a young boy. I've been been spoken spoken over, been talked to, uh, been explained, been, even been shown that my place is being in the front in the front seat my place is being the carrier and sometimes that 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 title in itself can become a weary title but what william lowe does is he carries it not by his own might not not by his own strength not by his own work but by the strength and and, and, and the, the might of god i don't i cannot do anything and, and for those of you who may be familiar with this slogan, I stand on it personally myself. I cannot do anything outside of the person, the promise, the power, and the presence of the Holy Spirit because it is that divine connection that gives me the strength, that gives me the power, that gives me the uh, dominion, the authority to be able to carry myself in such a way that I know for a fact I cannot do it on my own. Mm. William Lou is the, is the representation of righteousness out of revolt, if I can say it like that. There was a point of time in my life when I I didn't care for anything. I, I didn't want to care for anything. You know, there was a point of time where I was against all odds. Um, it was it was it was a, a me against the world type of thing, and I didn't see. I didn't see anything but myself. I didn't see anybody but myself. I knew God, but I didn't have a relationship. I knew Jesus, but I didn't have a relationship with him. You know, it's just, I'll go to church, I hear, but then I'll leave out just the same way as I came in. It's like, okay, it does nothing for me. I hear the word, I know the word. At the time, it was just something for me to use to be able to back myself up in case I get into a sticky situation where the Bible is thrown at me. Mm. And it caused a lot of hurt, a lot of pain. So out of that, William Lowe grew to be what you see before you right now. Mm -hmm. Amen, amen. And it's a wonderful transformation to be able to witness every single day with you working right beside me and things like that. So prior to this transformation, because with you being the epitome of humility, that means that you had to have a teachable spirit that had to develop as a result of you finding out that you can't do this by yourself. With that being said, describe for the viewers and listeners who William was prior to you meeting Jesus Christ. William was just an empty shell. Hmm. William was, William was a target. William was, William was that straight bullet that didn't have an aim, that didn't have a specific target, that wasn't going anywhere, but only to damage what was in front of him. William Lowe was that bullet that as soon as it, as soon as it landed, as soon as it touched, 
the damage that was caused afterwards was not being pointed back at me. It was only being pointed at the target that was hit. Well, really, there was no target. It's just William Lowe was an anything goes type of person. Mm. And an anything goes type of person walks in the mind frame of, of, of incoherency. If I can say it like that, if, if that can be a word. It, he walks in a way that when others try to even speak life into him, death is spewing in return. Hurt is spewing in return. Pain, misery. Misery loves company. William Lowe was misery. I was lonely. I was, I was full of grief. I was, I was full of abandonment. And that was a place where I found myself to be many, many times. The darkest time that I could remember of who William Lowe was during that time is, is during a time where I was heavy in the streets. I was selling drugs. I was around, you know, I had all the women. I, I, I was dealing with, you know, different, you know, having different cars, staying from house to house. I didn't care about the security and the protection or the sanctity of others. I just wanted to make sure I had a place to lay my head so that I could be able to continue pushing my very own agenda instead of pushing the agenda of loving my neighbor. I didn't want to be the representative of, it's okay, just cry let it out it's, it's easier to let go than to hold on i didn't want to be that mm -hmm. i wanted to hold on because for me is boy my eyes watering up just going through it being transparent during that time my holding on was my weapon to use if anybody came against me because during this moment so many people have hurt me so many people have said things against me. So many have said, so many people have said things about me that everything that I took in, everything that I heard, I was taking it. And it became like this, this ball. Many of you know what kind of ball I'm talking about. It was like this ball that was in a, at the end of those chains during medieval times that they slang around and they hit you with. They had the spikes on the end. I can't remember what they call them, but I was that ball. And as soon as anyone comes around and I even think or feel like, they're about to cause any harm or damage. I'm swinging mm. and I'm sure to connect and I'm mm. sure to cause damage. If I kill what's inside of you, then so be it. If I hurt what's inside of you, then so be it. I was at a point in my life where I had to guard myself for the sanctity of myself because during that time, that was my peace. Mm. Notice I said that was my peace. Right. I want my very own peace and my very own peace, I created it in mm -hmm. that manner. That's what William Lowe was. Mm, mm, mm. So basically, is it safe to say that William Lowe, prior to knowing Christ, was a hurt individual that took the initiative to hurt other people? Absolutely. So what was the source of that hurt? What was it that caused William Lowe to feel alone that resulted in you hurting other people? Now, before you answer that question, I just wanted, you know, if you're comfortable to do it, the answer yeah. it as complete as possible. But if yeah. not, then you know we can move on and you can give like a general answer and then it can segue to 
the next topic at hand. But Absolutely. the floor is yours, brother. It's, 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 a trans, it's transparent. I'm, I'm laying it all out, so I don't, I don't mind answering it. I got you. The source of that hurt, the source of that pain was I had suffered abandonment issues. Mm. And my family produced tough love. I hid behind trying to make my mother proud of me growing up my entire life. And whenever I fell short, I felt hurt mm. because it, the, the pain was reciprocated through how she talked to me. Um, I, and just to let everybody know, my mother is nothing like this today. My mother is a very beautiful individual. She has the life of, uh, she has life inside of her. I love her absolutely to death. I'm just taking you through, through history. During that time, my mother was was also a hurt individual. And, and as the saying goes, hurt people hurt people. The mm. hurt that was spewing from my mother was still instilling over into me. And I hid behind a series of, of laughter. Uh, um, I hid behind a series of, of sports. I hid behind a series of um, walking in the shadows of other people. Whenever company came around, my mother would take a liking to be happy with other people. And when I saw that, I absorbed it from observation. The source of my hurt was the abandonment that I didn't have my father in my life growing up. He abandoned me and my mother before I was even born. As soon as he found out I was conceived, he that was it. And as, of course, you know, uh, being born as a child, you're not thinking about it. You don't care about it until you see other children with their dad. And you hear them calling daddy, daddy. And I'm, I'm like, what is a dad? I didn't even know what a dad was. Mm. And when I learned what a dad was, it's like, do I have to be that one day? So if I have to be that, why don't I have one to teach me how to be that? Mm. and that came that spilled over into my mother trying the best that she could to help raise a young male in that society and to me my mother wasn't trying hard enough because the the love that she was given it was from a place of hurt it was mm. it was from a, a place of darkness and the only way that I could keep my mother happy, remember I said I tried everything to, to keep my mom, to satisfy my mom and make her happy. The only way I felt I could make my mom happy was to step into the shoes of somebody else. I, In order to maintain happiness and peace in my home, I had to not be myself. I never had room to be who William Lowe was or who mm. William Lowe is today. My hurt came from me having to step out of character to step into falsehood. My hurt came from stepping out of light into a darkness because I'm hiding behind a shadow that wasn't even mine. Mm. And as I'm walking in that shadow, the darkness is just growing. And after a while, I found myself inside of this bubble that I could not break out of. And no matter how hard I tried, it seemed like the bubble just 
grew tighter and tighter and tighter around me to the point that I was so consumed that I didn't even know who I was anymore. I lost my identity. Mm. The hurt came from me being out of character and stepping into a falsehood that wasn't even me. Mm. That was my source. Mm. Man, man, man. I just know right now off the rip, even though this is the beginning portion of this interview, that just knowing that right there will definitely help individuals who watch this, especially from a male perspective, because, you know, there's this sense of toughness that as a collective, we feel like we must put on when in actuality, we just want to go behind a closed door and cry and let it all out and release. But we have to put on this facade that we got it all together. And I'm pretty sure that as a result of realizing that we do need some help and yet we did put up this false sense of we got it together, we have come across individuals who can see through that armor that we put up that really serves as a front. I say all of that to ask you this. Were there some individuals that you came across while growing up in your formative years that was offering the help? that you did not think that you needed as a result of hiding behind that sense of false security? The strongest individual who never, <laughs> I'm sorry, y'all. The, uh, the sorry, take your time, man, take your time. That never gave up on me during that time was uh, my uncle. Shout out to my uncle, uh, Enrico Lowe. He stood by me. He he was there through it all. He saw the he saw the entire phase of me going through that. He witnessed me pulling myself deeper and deeper into an abyss of no return. But yet he was still there to to continuously speak love into me. He he was there to continuously pray for me. And, and by the way, my, my uncle Enrico Lowe, he's a prophet. He was there to continuously uh, speak life into me, speak love into me. Others saw the hatred. Others saw the pain. And they wanted to target just that. They wanted to target the shell to... to try to break this. I, I've run across a lot of individuals, but the strongest individual I can think of right now is my uncle. Other individuals wanted to break the shell. It's like, it's like that egg. The chick is on the inside. The embryo is on the inside. But in order to see it, see its, see its formation, I want to break that shell. My uncle didn't do that. Everybody else was busy trying to crack the shell, and they couldn't. But my uncle was piercing right through to me, to, to, to the real me deep down on the inside. And I truly can say to this day, he was truly an example of, of God's love. He, he, I'm not gonna say was, cause he's still, he's still very much alive. He is the true example of God's love. And after him, my mother married and she married a, she married uh, Henry Bowman. Good man, good man. I, I was in such a rebellious state during this time that 
I didn't accept nobody that came into our lives. I was the king of the council. I ran, I ran the house. It was just me, my mom, and my brothers for so long. And then this man comes in, and I didn't take a liking to him. We clashed. We, we clashed like crazy. Mm -hmm. And um, it came a point in time I, I got in, I, I came to high school, I, you know, I got in high school and we ended up getting into a fight. Well, that's when I found out I had heart problems. And um, he prayed over me and I can still hear his words. And we just finished fighting. I still hear his words as he held me tight in his arms, praying over me. God, don't take, don't take, don't take my son. Like, this is my stepfather. Don't take my son. Take me instead. Put, take me in his place. Don't take my son. Mm. And those words still register with me to this day. And that was back in like 2001, 2002. No, 2002. I'm sorry, 2002. Come to find out, I didn't even know he was battling brain cancer. This is a very powerful man. This is the second most powerful man of God I ever met face-to-face, -face, witnessed in my life, personally. He and my mother knew about the brain tumor for a while. Didn't tell any of us until it was starting to show. It, was, it started with him kind of losing his memory, little by little. And then he started losing his weight, little by little. I watched this man be a powerful man of God. He was big too. He was built physically. Yeah. And, and trust me, his spirit matched his oh man. Joker was big. He was huge. Taught me he taught me all my basketball skills too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I witnessed him built, big, strong, hard, hard I'm to my going strong and hard for the word of God. He helped transform my family. He brought my he helped bring my mother to Christ. Mm. And upon bringing my mother to Christ, we all follow. I witnessed him transform from that to a baby stage. He lost all of his memory. He lost every bit of his weight. We had to feed him. We had to clean him. We had to basically take care of him as if he was like, he, he went back basically to like a newborn. He knew nothing. We still continuously pray with him every night. I read the Bible with him. He, how I knew that nobody can tell me the Lord ain't real. Because after the, at this point, he's lost all memory, all weight. He's just laying there. The only thing he can do is look around. And I remember saying to him one day, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm crying, I'm, tears is pouring out. If you can remember anything that we share together, give me a sign. He blinked his eyes twice. I asked him, what does that mean? He looked over, he, he turned his head and looked over at a picture of all of us on the on his side of the bed, me, him, my mother, uh, we she just had a she just had his child as well. His child at the time, Judah. You met my brother Judah, big time basketball star now. His dad. 
Judah was an itty bitty baby just then uh, around this time. All of us had a picture. He looked over at the picture and he looked back at me and blinked twice. Christ that was in him was showing me that no matter what was going on physically with him, it could not overpower the love that God instilled in him that, that he poured into this family. Mm. I remember saying the words that um, you're not going anywhere. I promise you're going to be all right. God going to make this better. He died three o'clock that morning. Mm. Mm. Take your time. Take your time, man. Take your time. He died three o'clock that morning. And I, for a very, very long time, I beat myself up with because I, I promised him that he would be all right. I didn't understand during the time, but I promised him that he would be all right. And uh, I beat myself up for a long time. I ended up going back to the streets. Mm. After after we buried him and, and all that, my mom, she she was out of it. She was hurt. You know, she just lost her husband for the first time in her life. She she wasn't in her right state of mind. She couldn't work right. Um, we ended up losing the house. We ended up losing the land. We ended up losing the car. And uh, I just fell into an even darker hole than I was in before. For a very long time, I was beating myself up, just beating myself up. Now I'm dealing with abandonment issues from not having my real dad to growing up in a family that only that only produces tough love to losing my stepfather. Somebody who I got real close to, who I even started calling him dad. Mm. And to this day, I'm to this day we're still in touch with his children up in Philadelphia. Well one is in Florida and the rest of, the rest are up north. We're still in brothers, sisters, I love them to death. Henry Jr., Jasmine, Jay, Jamaica. We still in touch with all of them to this very day. Love each other. We're still close. And uh, it was it was a hurtful time. It was a dark time for us, man. And especially for me because my mom looked to me, and I remember her words saying that we, you know, you have to step up and be the man now. Everything that he taught you, this is this is where you put it to use. And not realizing how much hurt my mom was already dealing with from losing her husband, I refused to step into that leadership position. I was afraid because what he brought to this family, I didn't feel ready to step into. I ran. Mm. I turned my back on my family. I turned my back on my mom, my siblings, anybody that tried to speak it into me. I didn't care. I didn't want to hear it. It was furthest from the from being the last thing on my mind. I didn't care about leading my family. I just I just want to go away and deal with my pain in my own way. I didn't pray. I, I didn't care about praying. I didn't care about hearing about God during that time. I stopped going to church. I didn't care about hearing about the love of Jesus Christ. I, I didn't care about none of that. I just wanted to go into my own shell, into my own place, and deal with my hurt my way. Not long after that, I lost um, I lost my great grandmother, who I was staying with as well. Her her uh, not matter of fact, uh, uh, two, about two or three weeks after she passed, and we buried her. 
her home, her entire home caught on fire and it just went up and engulfed in flames. And um it, it it was it was nothing I could do. I lost everything that was in there. Basically I had to start over. Amongst all that I, I lost five cousins in a house fire. And I literally just played basketball with them the night before. They wanted to stay the night at my house. My mom was like, no, we got school. They went home that same night and died in a house fire. And to this day, no one knows how the house fire even started. They were asleep. So I'm dealing with, I'm dealing with abandonment issues. I'm dealing with tough love issues. I'm dealing with, um, Losing somebody that I looked up to. Losing family members that were so close to me that we were more than just cousins. We were brothers. So uh, it just got to the point where I just hid. I ran. I didn't care. And I forced myself into a shell that I didn't want nobody to pull me out of. And mm-hmm. I wanted to stay right there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that that pretty much about sums it up. Man, first of all, before I even ask the next question, I just want to say thank you for what you just did right there. Because although a lot of people's stories may be different, we've all encountered loss, and you already know that mine was my mother. I did exactly for her what you did for your stepfather was I had actually spoke with her and I said, you fought a good fight. You did all that you can do. Everything that you did was a picture of God, a picture of Jesus, because everything you did had that true love that penetrates any circumstance that your hearted heart has kept you in. You fought and ran a good race. I'll see you later. Those words that you spoke to your stepfather, were actually words that were prophetic because, yeah, he didn't go nowhere. He was always in God's presence, so he didn't go anywhere. Yes, he had left here, but you know that this is temporary. So where he went was to a place that he was already seated in. He just went there to go and live on forever and ever. See, one thing that happens when death occurs is the selfishness of us reveals meaning that we don't want that individual to leave because of the position and role that they played in our lives that we depended solely on. Every time we need love, oh, I know I can go to here. I know I can receive it from them. Not knowing that what they're actually doing is giving you the game, giving you the gems so that you will be able to maintain during the tough times. Absolutely. Each time God sends somebody inside of your life, it's to serve as a representation of him so that you can grab him because his word is everlasting. He is everlasting. We receive eternal life as a result of doing his work. So that's our reward. But that means that in order for us to get that, we must leave here. But what we give out, you must grab a hold on to because it will sustain you. That love 
being grace because with him being grounded and rooted in the word of God, loving him with all of his heart, he that love was reciprocated to his being to give to you in the Bible, you will be his neighbor. So therefore, he was giving you God that you hold on to. And just like a lot of people, they will run from that love because of the fact that they say that he left, that selfishness reveals, and therefore it covers you up and builds up more walls even more. I'm saying all of that to say this. With you being the transformed individual that you are now, and you ran into that young William Lowe who was covered up and hidden, hiding behind the walls that were built up that he was trying to build to protect himself from being hurt again. What would William Lowe today say to William Lowe back then to make him feel safe and feel that love of God that he was running away from? That's a good question. Um, with me being who I am now, standing in front of who I was back then, the first thing I probably would tell myself is it's okay. Mm. It's, it's okay. And I'm pretty sure I, I, I would probably, probably would have responded to myself by saying, you know, how? Look at the greater picture. Mm. There is a greater inside of you still with you. Because even though you're inside of that shell, you're alive inside of that shell. Mm -hmm. You're alive inside of that shell for a reason. Because while you're sitting in there, you're in a perfect place where he's speaking to you silently. Because at that at that moment of time, there have been been, you know, times where people have gotten into that dark place and taken themselves out. Suicide. Mm -hmm. They've gotten into that dark place and lost themselves. But William Lowe then was, he placed it upon himself to build a barrier around him without realizing that there is no barrier that God cannot get through. So it's okay. If you want to remain in that shell, remain that caterpillar. Because during the process, God is forming you. God is molding you. So during that moment, embrace your molding that you don't even know that's transpiring, that, that you don't even know you're about to transform into. Stay in that shell. Because if you, come out of the, if you come out of that shell too soon, you're vulnerable and you're open to the world. You're deemed open to more attacks. You're deemed open to more regret. You're deemed open to more darkness. Stay in that shell. It's okay. He's molding you. Because what's inside of you right now is going to be so great and so powerful that even as you tell this story later on, there are going to be some people looking at you like, how? Why? When? They will not understand you. But as long as Jesus understands you, everything is all right. Mm. It's okay. Wow, that's powerful right there. Those two words right there, it's okay. Allows for anybody to open up. And I asked that question because old William Lowe represents those lost today. That looks around left and right, 
trying to find that help, trying to find that love that they feel it lose them every single second of the day. And every single second, they are contemplating whether their existence here on in this world, no matter if they're a boy or a girl, no matter if they're young or old, if their existence in this world is really, really necessary, like if they took their own life, would they be missed? If they took their own life and nobody ever seen them again, would they be missed? For those individuals, before we move on to the next segment of this interview, for those individuals who are feeling like they are on the edge, feeling like they're on the brink of giving up, and they feel like there is no hope, there's no turning back, what would you like to say to these individuals that feel this way? The floor is yours. I want to say to those who, who are suffering the same way that I have, Don't give in to the hope of the world because if you continue to look towards whatever is out there, you would never be satisfied. Toleration never satisfies you. And what you're doing is you're receiving toleration in hopes that it becomes permanent. And if it sets in permanent, it would be a great loss because toleration requires you to go out and continuously work to gain it right back again. And then not only will you have to work to gain it right back again, you want to you want to even see it better. So therefore you have to put in twice as much work in order not only to get it back, but to see it better. It's not out there. It's in here. It's in here. Before you make that move, before you overdose on those pills, before you put that gun in your head, before you jump off that building, before you go, before you do anything to take yourself out, I want you to ask yourself one question. What would it grant me if I could turn around and come back for a second time and do this all over again? Because when you're reborn, that's what happens. You die once, come back, and you receive a second chance. Think about that second chance. Think about that second chance. You have an opportunity, no matter how hard life gets, you have an opportunity to make it better, but don't make it better only by, by your own might. Your might will never be enough for the world. Your works will never be enough for the world. Grace, mercy, the Bible tells us, and I'm heavy, in, I'm heavy in the word now. The Bible tells us goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives. Why do they follow us? Because they know as long as goodness is following, evil, evil somewhere lurking. Evil is always lurking. As long as goodness and mercy, as long as grace and mercy, as long as love and mercy is following us, there is always a protective barrier because anything that comes at us and anything that hits us, we're bound to want to take ourselves out because of it. We don't want to go through the pain. We don't want to endure the stages of going through the struggle of trying to get out of it. Stop. What would it grant me if I was given the second time to do this all over again? Mm -hmm. Just sit and think about that question before you make a move. And I feel it 
that somebody is going through that right now. And I just want to encourage you. It ain't over. It ain't over. You're not dead. You have not stopped breathing. You still, you still here. It ain't over. Mm -hmm. Keep pushing. Keep pushing. Remember that question. What will it grant me if I can do this a second time? Mm. Man, I appreciate that answer. And I want people to understand that the difference between the past, present, and the future is only one second. It's only one second. That second, at this present moment, the past has become the present. And now the future is now the present, therefore making the present the past. So therefore, in that one second that you are still living, that you are still breathing, God is still here with his mercy to show you that compassion, waiting for you to try him so that once you call him, his revelation is met, has met you, met your willingness. Therefore, forgiveness is right there. And when you agree and walk with him, your healing is attached to it. That is that grace, mercy, and grace. Jesus is the bridge for forgiveness and healing. I promise you, love, that unconditional love of God that is not meant to be confused with the toleration. It will keep you and it will sustain you. I'm telling you, I'm a living witness. My brother's a living witness. And if you live long enough and you know exactly who God is, then you are definitely a living witness. You are a testimony. So I thank you for what you just said, Will. Now that helps us move on to this next segment of the interview, where we start talking about the vehicles that you was able to utilize, your outlets, as a result of realizing that you got to get this pain up out of you. The music. At what age did you start utilizing music to be able to articulate what you were going through and also at the same time, unawareingly at the time, masquerading that hurt behind your ego. I was about, mm, I, I remember being in middle school. I was about uh, maybe nine, 10 years old when I first started music. Mm. When I, when I spit my first rhyme, I was about nine, yeah, about nine or 10 years old. I was in uh, the sixth, seventh grade. Yeah. I was, it was early. It was, early. it was pretty early. Uh -huh. And uh, the first rap I ever wrote, I ever spit, it's, <laughs> it was uh, these guys in my neighborhood who, you know, every, every day after school, they used to be out on the block. You know, my house was sitting on a corner. And they used to be on that block by the stop sign. And they always be beating on the stop sign. Or, or somebody be parked with their car and they be beating on the trunk. Or somebody yeah. put on the instrumental and you can hear it from inside the house. But like, back then, you know, us growing up, all we know is speakers. We didn't care about the rims or nothing. It's, it's who had the hardest beat. So That's right. So used to be in the neighborhood with the beat in the trunk. And, and you just hear the guys like, oh, oh. I'm talking about they be going. So I took it upon myself one day I was I was playing basketball, me and a couple of friends, and we just saw, you know, we heard it. And uh we just was like, you know, hey man, let's go over here and see what's popping. So we went over and uh these guys they was rapping. We was we was into it, we were young, like we was into it, like, bro, what are they whatever they doing, it sounds good. Yeah. So one of the guys looked at me, he was like, Hey, legit. I'm like, <laughs> 
He was like, yeah, legit, come here. So I was right. like, all right. He was like, you know how to spit? I was like, no. Nah. He said, you going to learn today. That's right. He was like, you going to learn today. And I was like, these Negroes just told me what I'm going to do. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so he was like, somebody start a beat. Somebody get a beat for him. They, they went to beat. So he was like, I'm going to show you how to flow. I'm going to show you how to flow. I'm going to start it off for you. And all you do is just pick it up. Just, just, just feel it. Just feel it. Whatever you know, whatever you recognize, whatever you feel, just say it. Just say it. So he started going, he started going, he started going. And after a while, I started picking up on his words and I started rapping about things that I love. I started rapping about basketball. I started rapping about football. And then that flipped over into running and playing with my friends and playing with my siblings and started going into talking about how I love my, my family. And then I had my first girlfriend during that time too. So of course she was through in the mix. So it, it felt good. It felt good. So I went, I, after I finished, everybody was like, oh, little, little dude got some boys. Look, so I ran back in the house. They thinking I done got scared. I ran in the house to pull my mom out. I'm like, mama, I just spit. Yeah. She was like, what? And I'm like, I just spit. I, mom, I just, you don't hear that? I just did that. I rap. She was like, no, you didn't. I was like, stay right there, mama. Sit down. I'm going to rap for you. So I rap, um, what's that boys the men song? Uh, mama. Mama, you know I love you. I rapped that song yeah. to my mom. I rapped it. And she's sitting there like, we need to get you in some talent shows. Mm. You got to get a pen, a piece of paper. I'm going to go to the store and I'm going to buy you a CD. Uh, boy, during the time it was cassettes. I'm going to buy you cassette tapes with some beats on it. Because I know I got a couple of friends who are DJs. They got, they got the hookup with that. I'm going to bring it back home. You will sit in your room. I'm going to give you a pen and a piece of paper. And you're gonna write some words. Yeah. So she did just that. She went, she got the she got the tape, she got a pen and pad, brought it back home. I went in my room, put the tape in my cassette player. I stayed there all night, just writing, just writing about stuff that I love. Fast forward, all of that all that took me into high school. I joined the track team, and there was these two guys that were known around the school for freestyling. Mm -hmm. And we, <laughs> they joined the track team as well. So we're in the back of the bus heading to a track meeting. I, I'm sitting in the front by the coach and they're like, boom, 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 boom. And you can hear, just hear, just knocking in the back of the bus. And all of a sudden, all the, all the track team went to the back and everybody just, you know, co even coach back there just going with them. And I'm like, okay, you know, I can dig it. So my cousin was on the, on the bus, and he was like, hey, I got somebody who can rap better than y'all. Oh, man. And he was like, who? <laughs> they was, he started pointing. He was like, oh, a little freshman, a little low? little freshman? Oh, man, what, bro, bring him back here. Let, we finna eat him up. So yeah. long story short, they started, you know, they were going, they were going. They, they got some bars. They got some bars. Now, I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but my legacy of being a rapper of being able to to put words together in a lyrical manner was birthed that day. Mm. And from that point, I was introduced to um he changed his rap name so many times. But uh the guy that taught me 
how to rap. His name was Greg Carter. That's his real name. Shout out Greg. He he's still very much alive today. That's that's my homie, my big bro. Yes, sir. Greg Carter taught me how to rap. He also was the one that taught me how to tongue twist. So uh, when this when the first studio in Millen was built, and that's my hometown. Shout out to Millen, Georgia. When when my, when the first studio in Millen was built, they heard about me. They pulled me in and asked me to you know, spit a few bars. And that's why I, my first time ever stepping into a studio. Man. And that's where the legacy started. Man, look, shout out to Greg again, man, because, hey, Will is a problem. (laughs) (laughs) That man be rapping fast. I was like, oh my gosh, man, this dude here. Like, I know I can rap fast, but Will just go somewhere else with it. I'll be like, oh my God. So growing up, man, I know you said that they had the speakers knocking because, I mean, I think that's a Southern thing. You know, if your speaker's yeah. knocking, you know what I'm saying, you doing something. Yeah, I, mean, I know it's a hip-hop thing. Shout out to LL Cool J for making a song about the booming system. You feel me? So you know down South, that's a big thing. Who are some yeah. of your early influences in hip-hop? Well, music oh, in general. I say, I say music in general. Growing up, you already know my number one was Tip. I know. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's my dog. That's that's my dog. Yeah. Uh, Tip, uh, Young Bloods. Yeah, yeah. It was in, uh, Lil John when they came out with Scrappy, mm-hmm. uh, Archie. Um, man, it's it's so many, man. It's it's. I remember when Ludacris first came out. I I I instantly took a liking to his flow. Yeah, man. That's, that's, that's my dude. That's my dude. And, um, man, uh, I remember Mike Jones. A lot of people sleep on him, but Mike Jones, when he came out, Paul Wall, Slim Thug, uh, during the time everybody used to get me mixed up with Hurricane Chris. Yeah. Um, man, it, it's just so many, so many influences during that time, man. And, and every time I heard a new artist come out, I'd be like, Oh man, I got that. I got that. I, I can get that down packed. A lot of a lot of people uh too short, you know, um a lot of Snoop Dogg, a lot of people from that era, Nas, even Jay-Z, Jada Kiss, mean they was man, I was rolling with every every rapper that came out. Twister, Bone Thugs and Harmony, Do or Die. Yeah. I mean, I'm riding with them all, man, and, and I'm like, bruh, I have never been outside of the state of Georgia at this moment, mm-hmm. but I can literally rap any style that I want to Yeah. just by listening, and that blew my mother's mind so much. People actually used to think that I used to visit these places and get trained under people to rap like them. It's like, I've never been outside of Georgia during right. this moment, during that time. I've never stepped foot outside of Georgia at all, but I can rap any style that you want me to. Mm. And I just saw that as a as a God-given gift. You know, a lot a, of people call it talent. Yeah. Oh, you just listen to it and just you just rap with it, nah, bro. Nah, I, that's a gift to me. It is, and I don't I don't take it for granted. Most definitely, man. It's embedded in the music, man. So when you're able to do that. Like, it just makes you so much versatile. Like, there's literally nothing you can't do behind the mic. 
And since you start figuring that out, I know that there's a point in time where you start taking it seriously to where you say, hmm, I can really do something with this thing here. I mean, I know that's evident now because you know what we're doing. But take us back to that moment where you had said to yourself, hmm, man, I can definitely do this for a living. I can see myself becoming a professional. At what moment did you realize that? First of all, before I head into that, let me give a shout out to my young brother, Mook Duke. Mm. Uh, Israel Branch, for those of you who know him on Facebook, Israel Branch. I met this young brother. I'm to my heat today. This brother is so far. Oh my god, like, whew, so far. I met this young brother at his house. I was staying with my cousin Scooter B. Shout out to Scooter B. I met this young brother at his house, uh, Mook Dude, and he didn't know nothing about me, nothing at all. Got with him. We 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 bought a little computer mic that connected to his computer. Bought you know downloaded some beats. We started going through it, going through it. I started teaching him you know writing flows. He got better with it by itself over time. Just just going, just going, just going. You know all I had to do was introduce him to it. I just planted that seed. It took off after that. It got serious when he bought his first studio equipment. He brought his first program, and then he started setting it up. He started setting it up in his closet. And when all that came about, everybody from our town, our hometown, and other surrounding hometowns, everybody knew about us. Everybody knew about us rapping. We had a, we had a group called Connection. And connection grew into straight about money, SBM, ENT, which is what it is today. Mm -hmm. And it became so serious, so serious, that other people started building their studios and started coming after us. Wow. They started like diss tracks. Our hometown was the center of attention for a while because. It was so much beef between us and like two other groups going on at the same time. Wow. And every time we would meet up at football games or basketball games and stuff like that, they would shout out the, you know, they would shout out our crew SBM and then the other crews would be there. They'd be walking with their crew, we'd be walking with ours. And, you know, everybody be looking like, oh, something about to pop off. We was like the East East Coast versus West Coast mob, uh, mob back then, bro. Like it was heavy. This thing. It got serious when it started turning into that. Mm. And that's what we knew. This ain't a game. Yes, sir. This, Insert this below game. the so Titan. <laughs> that's when, well, during the time I was just Tate. I was my okay. nickname then. I became Tilo the Titan when I moved to Statesboro, Georgia, and I met up with my brother, Jay, Jacko. And he gave me, he turned Tate into T and added my last name to it, Tilo. And anytime I ever stepped in his booth, he always had people, like, his studio was always packed, full of people. Anytime I ever stepped in his booth, there was always people there. And one day I came out, one of the brothers that was in there with him while he was producing one of my, one of my tracks, he was like, bro, you, are li you literally sound immortal when you're on the track. Wow. Like, there is nothing that I've heard that sound like that. 
there's nobody I've heard that can out, that can, the way you put words together, the way the words come out, the, your style, your flow, your, 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 the way you present it, your presentation, everything like, bro, I've never, like, you're immortal when it comes down to that track. And immediately when he said immortal, my brother looked at me and said, Tilo, the type. Mm. It was like, the reason why I gave you Titan, think about Greek mythology, bro. Titans were gods. He was like, you are like a god on a track. You cannot be touched. Mm. So Tilo the Titan just stuck with me for a long, for, for, for a while after that. I just carried it with me. Tilo the Titan. Every time I, anywhere I went, people always know me as Tilo, or they always call me Titan. Either or. They, it's just everywhere I go, my my, my reputation preceded me. Mm-hmm. And I saw to it that my name was everything, whether it be my real name or my stage name. I carried it in such a way that I felt like everywhere I went, I felt I deserved to be looked at as a king. Mm-hmm. Because I put in so much work and I worked so hard to get to where I was. I can definitely understand that right there because, man, look, I've heard your old music, man, when you was Tilo the Titan, and I was like, oh, my God. Like, this dude here is insane. Man, through your music projects, bro, you can definitely hear the diversity of style, and you can hear the lyricism, like, the way that you put it together. It was like, oh, my gosh. Every time I heard you on the track with somebody else, I was like, Man, this man sounds so far advanced. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> it was like, yo. So before I segue to the next portion of this interview, which will be entitled The Transformation, because, you know, that's going to really be the turning point. Just tell the people the amount of preparation that went into building your skills of lyricism. Man, sleepless nights through headaches, uh, before work, after work. Sometimes I would I would go in the studio. I'm directly off work. I would go straight to the studio. I, I usually carry my pen and my pad in my car with me. I would go straight to the studio, put on a beat, and I would stay in there all the way, and I kid you not, I would stay in there all the way until I fell asleep in the studio. By the time I woke up, it's sunlight. I would wake up in the studio and finish recording whatever it was I fell asleep on. Mm. I was so determined to make it because that that had become that had truly become my outlet. My pain was poured into into my music. My hurt was poured into my music. My darkness was poured into my music. When I lost my stepfather, I made a song about him. I made a song dedicated to my mother. I even made a song dedicated to the girl I was dating at the time, who, who's today, who's now today the, the uh, mother of my daughter, my only daughter. Mm. I made a song about her. She's been in the studio with me a couple of times, but nothing amounted to how much work I put in when it really, really meant. I thought it really mattered then, but it really meant something when I broke up, well, me and my daughter's mom, we broke apart. And that 
boy, that sent me in, into such a dark place because it, because of the events that that took place for that that led up to the breakup. Mm-hmm. I fell into a, another abyss. I started drinking then. I started smoking heavy, and I was kind of like I was pretty much like Lil Wayne at, at during that time. I was so immortal. I felt so empowered when I'm behind that mic. As long as I had a bottle in my hand and a blunt in the oven, I didn't need no pad. Mm. I didn't need the pen. All I needed to hear was a beat, and I'm going stupid. Mm. I'm going in, and it, and every and what's crazy is I got all these songs to this day. Yeah, I got in the booth, and I released so much that people thought literally I'm about to turn into a serial killer. It was so much pain that was coming out of me. But at the same time, what people didn't understand is I've been through that painful stage once. I refused to let it take me all the way back into that shell again. During that time that that pain was coming out, that I I, I was falling back into, into an abyss, people didn't realize that the Lord had already gave me wings to, as I'm, as I'm falling into the abyss, the Lord had already given me wings to stay afloat. So with the darkness surrounding me, trying to swallow me, I'm steady fighting and floating, slowly floating back up. So during that time I'm in the studio, not only am I releasing pain, but I'm receiving him. Mm. So it was a, it was an all in one. So the effort that I was putting in, it was worth it. it to me it was worth it because my greatest moments you can hear them in my music mm. i put every bit of my life on every track and this is not a facade every for those of you who know my who know my life who have heard my music everything you hear in my old music as well as my new music today is everything that i actually have lived mm-hmm shoot uh drive-bys shooting people incarcerations drug uses women there was even a point in time and i'm being transparent there was even a point in time then that people were deeming me homosexual because i was hanging around them a lot well i got i got family members that that are you know that are that but the love of me didn't discriminate so i didn't care about what i was being called or what people saw me at. I just wanted the love that I that I was feeling during that time of I didn't care about what anybody said. I just wanted the love to reciprocate. I wanted the love to to pour out into those that I was around. And if it meant you calling me names, I didn't care. But I can promise you anybody that's around me won't feel hurt. Mm. Anybody that's around me won't feel pain. Everybody that's around me will enjoy being in, being in, you know, we'll we'll enjoy each other's company, no matter who it was. Yes, I have homosexual friends, and I respect their lifestyle. I respect them as I, I res- I'm not gonna say I respect the lifestyle. I respect them as people. I respect them. I love them. Mm-hmm. I have straight friends, but none of that means I have to follow what. They do. That is not a God. I don't have to follow that. That was by choice. I didn't have to dive into that. And, I, and, and I'm glad to say that I didn't. Thankful that we did. Exactly. So exactly. It, was a, it, was a, it was a release. 
it was a release and those those were some of the those were some of the moments it was a it was a it was a release of pain and a receiving of him there you go just like miss k just said a re releasing pain and receiving healing that's basically what was going on in my music shout out to miss k that's the lady i was telling you about that i love to see interview on the white room that's that's her right there Man, so glory be to god yeah that's her so miss k be sure to reach out. Be sure to reach out. I'm telling you, I, that's a mighty woman of God right there. I just had to go ahead and just give her a shout out and throw her in there. Just to let you know, man. Hey, and shout out to Miss Fox, too. I see you. I'm, I'm going to be tuning in Saturday now. <laughs> I'll be that's tuning my in sister, Saturday. Yeah, man. That's, that's my sister, boy. I love her. I love her. Powerful woman of God, man. I, I cannot wait to interview her. Man, like, I, I've, I've been talking. We've been, we talk every day. Yeah, and, and we we it's, it's it's an iron sharpening iron thing that you know with me and Miss Fox, man, and and I, I I love my sister in Christ, bro. You know I pray for her every day. Exactly. And uh, I just can't wait. I just can't wait. Now I'm I'm thankful that she's on here, so everybody can witness. And shout out to my our brother Melvin too, cause he's on here. Love you, brother. Exactly. I thank you for tuning in. For sure. This is the side of me that I don't show anybody. Yeah. You know this is a side of me that. I, it's been done away with, but I don't mind sharing when being asked. Right. You know, a lot of people don't understand me. They think I still carry these things to this day. It's not that I carry them, but you can feel, you can feel that, you can feel the resistance. I stand and I resist. A lot of people get me, get my resistance mixed up with involvement. And that's, that's an issue that goes on in the world today. A lot of people get my resistance mixed up with involvement. Mm. I'm not involved in it. I'm resisting. Just because it's around me don't mean I welcome it in. You know, and, and I just wanted to make that very clear because I feel that on my spirit that somebody, somebody think I'm still dealing with worldly ways. I, I'm not. I'm not. I've been delivered. I've been saved, healed, and delivered. And I want to let somebody. I want to let somebody know that right now. I don't know who it is, but I want to let somebody know that right now. And it's heavy too. It's heavy. I've been delivered, and I don't deal with the worldly stuff. I'm not saying that to get an attitude. I'm not saying that out of feelings or emotions. But I know who I am in Christ. I'm glad that you said that right there because that actually leads into the next segment of his interview, which is the transformation, which okay. means that you're separating yourself from the world because you have been redeemed by our lord and savior now this right here is a very personal story because it involves me yes sir <laughs> so without further ado brother the floor is yours to tell this story because this right here is a wonderful story not because i'm in it but every time you see him display the love that he has for his wife every time he talks about his wife shout out to king Shout out to Keela. Every time he talks about his kids, every one of them, all four of them, Zachariah, Justice, and Jackson, who I parent vicariously through him. <laughs> I tell him that all yeah. the time. Yeah. So it, it displays all of this at that moment. Like this story right here, you see the love that he has for them. It is because of this moment of transformation because he truly not only gets to display true love, but he recognized that it's the love of God that he needed in order to live that, that love 
as well as reciprocate and give out that love that was eluding him. Mel, you stupid. Go ahead and tell the story. <laughs> Go ahead, Will. The floor is yours, man. <laughs> this story, man, I'm going to start from the top. I was uh, I was with a group of guys. I'm, I'm not going to name them. I'm not going to name them. I was with a group of guys performing one night, and we was turned up. I'm talking about I had my black and mild. I'm smoking. We had a couple of drinks. I done hit the stage. I done tore the stage up. Like, standing ovation, the people that was hosting the show, they actually paid me to return. Wow. Yeah, they paid me to return. But little did I know, the Lord had something in store for me. So I came home that night and uh, try, I'm trying to put the puzzle pieces together. I came home that night mm -hmm. and I went, I, I took a shower, you know, talked to my wife, you know, we was talking about the show she had, cause she couldn't make it. She had to be home with the boys. And, uh, you know, I told her about the show and she was like, you know, baby, you did it. You know, I know you did a good job. I, I, I can tell. I don't even have to go to your, like my wife always say, I don't have to listen to your music or nor go to your shows. Cause I know how you are. And I know what you can do. I was see low to Titan that night when I went to sleep. Two, three o'clock in the morning. No, matter of fact, between three and four o'clock in the morning, I was awakened out of my sleep. Why? I don't know. I woke up just sitting there in the bed. My wife, she was asleep, knocked out cold. The boys, they were asleep, knocked out cold. Woke up, sat there for a minute, looked around. I was like, man, no. Mm -mm, something ain't right. Got up, walked downstairs, sat in my living room, and I just looked around. And clear as day, like we're talking now, I heard him say it. It's time. Mm. It's time. Right now. And immediately, I cried. I told him I surrender. I don't want to do this no more. I'm done running. Mm. I'm done fighting. And this is where we introduce the famous Ashton Reynolds. He's the famous. Who is he? <laughs> Three or four, <laughs> four o'clock in the morning. I called him. I called you and said, bro, I'm done. My exact words, I'm done. I don't want to do it no more. I'm ready to come on to the blessed side. And you verbatim said back to me, glory be to God. But brother, let me ask you this. Are you sure? And I said, the Lord just said it's time. Right then and there, I can tell that the transformation had happened. You prayed with me right then and there. We, we up three, four o'clock in the morning. Exactly. This brother stopped and prayed with me. 
I couldn't even believe he was still up four o'clock. The first thing I'm, I'm actually thinking about what is he doing up at four o'clock in the morning? <laughs> <laughs> Bro, I don't know honestly. I can't even tell you. Yeah, was up. Now that I'm looking back on it, the Lord had you up because He knew that when it became time, I was going to need a partner to travel on this journey with. Mm. After we prayed, long story short, I went back, you know, I went back to sleep feeling good, feeling good. Mm -hmm. I woke up, I text Mel, and I told Mel. After I text Mel, y'all were the first two. I, I hit up my homeboys who I just performed with that night before. Yeah. <laughs> All but one chewed me out. And that one still ride with me to this day. Mm. Even though he, he doing what it is that he do, I still love him. That's my That's dog. Right. That's my dog. But he his exact words was, bro, Will, I don't care what none of them other Negroes say. I don't care what none of them other Negroes do. But, bro, I'm riding with you till the wheels fall off, no matter what choice you make. Mm. He said, I'm riding with you. I ain't riding with you because of your music. I'm riding with you because you kept it real with me. You kept it real with me. You showed me love when nobody, when everybody else kept got had some, you know, slick to say about me. You kept it real with me when everybody else was turning their back on me. When I was going through my dark times of drinking and, 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 and I was becoming an alcoholic and I was getting suicidal. You stayed by my side, bro. He said, I ain't riding with you because of your music. I ain't riding with you because you got flow or you got money. He said, bro, I'm riding with you because you, you, and you don't change. And that hit me so hard. Yeah. That hit me so hard that when I heard those words from him, it made me go even harder. Because I see right then and there that the change that was happening in me was reciprocating in other people. Yes. And God was also pruning me and showing me who was going to be on this journey with me and who wasn't. That's awesome right there. Man, look, I could hear that story all day, every day, because the fact that when you hear somebody giving their life over to Christ to come live on the blessed side, the victorious side, you start realizing that you're in a fixed fight and you don't have to fight anymore because the battle was already won. So you can already just walk it into your victory. So it's like basically you just ran through the ribbon and boom, you winning, you living. Straight up, man. I, I'll never get tired of hearing that story. And for anybody's story, you know, when they come over to the blessed side, I never get tired of that story. I love it. And I, because I know for a fact what it's all about, man. I know it because I'm living it too, man. So for those individuals who are at that moment or at that, you know, at that time where they're about to transition over to the blessed side, where they're about to start living for the Lord and start living his will instead of our will, our own personal wills, what are some words of encouragement that you would like to give to them as they make that transition to living solely for the Lord? What are you willing to sacrifice to remain obedient? Okay. Okay. All right. Yes, sir. What are you willing to sacrifice to remain obedient? Because when you heard that voice tell you it's time, 
and you're making that transition, you're making that transformation, there are going to be some sacrifices that need to be made. Mm. You cannot continuously go up carrying dead weight because it's going to continuously pull pulling you back. You can't go up hanging on to the love of money. Oh. You can't go up hanging on to all those women you was talking to. You can't go up hanging on to the cussing and the drinking and the smoking and the clubbing and the parlaying. And, and, and you can't go up doing that. Come on now. Because those things kept you stagnant where you were. But when God spoke to you, it's because it's time for you to go up, to rise up above those things, not carry them with you, but to rise up above them. Not saying you're better than them, but it's time for you to rise above because God wants you at a higher platform. God needs you at a higher place because there are others, other than those people that you're trying to drag along, there are others out there that are attached to your call, that are attached to your purpose. And what you have stored inside of you is the battle plan that they will need to fight in this to fight this fight. You are the walking battle plan for them to fight that good fight. You are the you are the map for them to continue to run this race. And you possess the key for them to keep the faith. Mm. Man, man, man. <laughs> See, well, the boy will be getting started. Well, I love it, man. <laughs> they will always be asking them open-ended questions so he can go ahead and get started because I already know when that fire starts building up. The questions just add fuel to the fire, so that's why I like doing it. But look, y'all, what we about to do is just, you know, we run a little short on time, but see, what I'm going to do is ask this final question right here because it's really going to sum up the transformation because I want this answer to be a loaded answer that includes your pastoral walk as you are now walking into your ministerial position. Uh, we're going to talk about the white room. We're going to talk about Harvest's Ground Edition. We're going to talk about fatherhood, how you're enjoying being a father. Man, the floor is yours to just let it all out, man. So just talk about William Lowe. This is the question right here. How and who is William Lowe now? How is William Lowe doing? And what is it that William Lowe is doing as a result of being the redeemed of the Lord walking into that righteousness that he had waiting for you as a result of you walking and agreeing with him. How are you, William Lowe? Who is this William Lowe that we know now? <laughs> <laughs> William Lowe today, William Lowe right now, is blessed. Oh, man. I'm filled with love i'm covered in his divine grace i walk with his mercy ah i own his righteousness mm. meaning i am an heir to his throne the seat that i have right now that has been created before me is a seat that I don't earn, that I did not earn and I did not deserve, but yet I willingly accept it. Ooh. 
when I saw the seat, and for those of you who don't who don't know what the seat is, it's those words. It's time. That's the seat. Mm. When I saw the seat, the Lord said, "You have a choice. Stay where you are, and just look, observe, or sit and receive." The William Lowe right now is sitting. The William Lowe right now is meditating. The William Lowe right now is loving. The William Lowe right now is being obedient. Yeah. The William Lowe right now is serving. Woo. White Room was created just for this. Mm. The Lord gave it to me months ago, but I decided to, upon my own free will, to hold off against it because of my extensive hours at work. But the Lord reminded me again when I got to this point where I am now. And it caused an, a car accident to place me here for mm. him to remind me. I told you. And that's all I needed here. I told you. And when he said, I told you, I received and said, it is now. It is done. It is finished. Let us begin. The white room was birthed, and it was made just for this. Harvester's Ground Ministries, a place where teachers learn and students teach. Remember I told you in the beginning, William Lowe defines humility. A place where teachers learn and students teach. Our ministry, with my brother, uh, Ashton Reynolds, Harvester's Ground Ministries is a place where teachers learn and students teach. It is the grounds for humility. It is a place where you cannot plant a seed in non-fertile soil. It is the place where the soil is fertile. It is the place where God's hands have already molded, uh, molded into the soil to be prepared for us to plant. When we plant, what we do is we come forth and we plant the seed. And we allow others to go forth and water it as God grows. Therefore, we create nations of disciples to go out into the world and witness. We, 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 we reap a nation of disciples to teach and preach the gospel, the true unadulterated gospel of Jesus Christ into those who are lost, those who are now found, but still are in that thinking mode, and even those who are already there, just to help them maintain. Me being a father, me being a husband, is one of the greatest things that I could ever ask for in my life. Me being a husband not only teaches me to be a great leader, but me being a husband teaches me to be a great servant. We must love our wives just as Christ loves the church, not loved with an ED, just as Christ loves the church. Christ still loves it. I, I want people to understand that. Christ still loves the church. He still loves, that's his bride. He's married to the church. He's betrothed to the church. He's intertwined with the church. It's not, that we should love, we, we, we ought to have loved our wives. I don't see nowhere in the Bible where it says that. Where I am right now, being a husband teaches me to serve better. It teaches me to hear better, listen, 
It teaches me to sit as I am sitting and meditating in the presence of God. It teaches me to be obedient because servanthood comes with obedience. Believe it or not, us men must serve our women just as our women are helpers to us. We as leaders must be the sole definition, the divine the, the, the divine refinement of what it is that God created us to be. In the beginning, the, the Bible tells us that God created us in his image and in their likeness. I am created in the image of God. My wife is created in the image of God. We all are created in the image of God, but we walk in their likeness. We walk in righteousness. We walk in love. We walk in purity. We walk in wisdom. We walk in truth. We walk in power. We walk in authority. We walk. We were created in their, in his image and of their likeness. We, when you see us, don't see a human. When you see a child of God, you see grace. When you see a child of God, you see peace. When you see a child of God, you see love, agape love, unconditional love. That means that you can do whatever it is that you do to me, and regardless of the consequences and repercussions, I'm still going to love you through. The world today does not know anything about love. I don't care what kind of politic you represent. I don't care if you fight for Black Lives Matter, whatever. Yes, I'm gonna speak on it, speak about it. I'm gonna mention it on this platform because I don't, that's not where I live. That's not where I reside. And I'm gonna be transparent. This is a transparent platform and I'm gonna be real. I don't reside in Black Lives Matter. It's not what I represent. I don't reside in White Lives Matter. It's not what I represent. I don't reside in all lives matter. It's not what I represent, but what I do represent is the body of Christ. That means I am, an, I am not a respecter of man. If I am to be in the image of my father and of their likeness, I must not be a respecter of man. I must love you no matter your skin tone, no matter where you're from, no matter who you are, no matter what you represent, I'm going to love you for who you are. That is agape love. That is unconditional love that comes with the unmerited favor or AKA grace that we are divinely given righteously by God through Jesus Christ. Being a father, I don't serve my kids. My kids don't serve me. We serve each other. We teach each other. I learn from my kids just like they learn from me. But one thing I expressed to them when they say, just the other day, my son, Justice, he's seven years old. He said, uh, Daddy, I was like, what's up? He said, you are so smart, Daddy. You're very wise, Daddy. And I looked at him. I said, son, I appreciate Well, I call him buddy. I'm like, buddy, I appreciate that. But Daddy, does, Daddy knows absolutely nothing. It's like, you know nothing, Daddy? Are, are you sure? And I told him, I said, Daddy knows nothing. Because without the Spirit of God in me, I would just be an empty vessel full of worldly knowledge. Just a noisy gong walking around here not saying nothing. You are looking at the now transformed William Lowe. 
I've given you Will, William Lowe in the past. I've given you Tilo the Titan. I've given you Tay. Now I'm giving you William Lowe today. Harvester's Ground Ministries, White Room, Loving Husband, Father, Minister, Brother, Cousin, Son, Nephew, whatever you want to call it. I love you all with the love of God in me, the agape love, the unconditional love. I don't, I'm not looking for support. I'm not looking for a financial support. I'm not looking for, for people to, to, to put hearts on, on my platform or put thumbs up on my platform. That's not what I'm here for. All I ask is before I step, on this, step onto any platform, before I step into anybody's view, I pray that the Lord hides me behind the mountain and reveal himself before me because it is through that love that I'm praying to win souls. Back to him. Lord is yours, my brother Ashley. And this concludes the end of the interview, but the introduction to William Lowe. For those who have asked exactly who he is, I pray that he has been revealed to you in its entirety. And people, what you see right now is exactly a man who is sold out for Christ, just as I am. And brother, this is just from transformation. Since we are being transparent, I'm so proud of you, man. When I was just sitting back and I was just sitting there listening to you just really talk about the covenant of grace, how separated and removed you are from this world full of vacillation, this indecisiveness and wavering faith of whether they should serve the true and living God or these idols that they've created. Man, this is awesome, brother. Because the grace covenant really separates those who are the true children of God through the acceptance of Jesus Christ and those who just speak law a law that was fulfilled by Jesus Christ in order for us to inherit the righteousness that they've been still trying to work to get. But he fulfilled the law to end the working for it. And he made it easy by saying, be obedient to who he is, agree to who he is. And therefore you accept him, you accept the father for he and I are one and the same. Will, I thank you for taking the initiative for presenting Jesus to individuals because in this world, they're trying to get rid of Jesus, but want to get to the heavenly father. But one thing people got to realize is that you have to go through Jesus to get to the heavenly father. I thank you for taking up that role, that position. And you're able to do that by having the best seat in the house, a comfortable seat. Because you see me, as soon as you start talking about grace, I just sit back and relax because that's my representation of me in his presence, in the blessed side. That's blessed coast, people. Blessed coast, where is that? The presence of God. I'm trying to tell you, the presence of God is the most comfortable place you can be in because you are in the presence of somebody who only has plans to prosper you, not mislead you, not use you, not sex you, not talk to you nice, but to actually prosper you. I'm trying to tell you the best seat in the house. And the best thing about it is that for anybody who calls on his name and humbles themselves, and I tell you, and you y'all know, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness. Whose righteousness? His righteousness. Jesus' righteousness. And all things shall be added to you according to the desires of your heart. And the thing about it is, in the desire of your heart, 
it's to know who he is. So therefore, you made him a priority. He makes you a priority. You love him with all of your heart. He reciprocates that love to you and you spread it out. And as a result, it's like it says in Proverbs, the blessings are on the head of the righteous. So the blessings that you get, that's your crown representing that you are a child of God, that you are royalty. And like Psalms 24, 1 says, the earth is the Lord. So therefore, if the earth is the Lord's and you are his child, then you inherit everything in this world that the Lord created because it's a gift to you. And this is not limited to no race, color, age, ethnicity, or anything because this right here, this righteousness only knows acceptance. So the beautification of the gift that he gives you as a result of, us, of accepting him allows for us to live together in peace and harmony and tranquility because the fruit would definitely be on display and all of this is nothing but grace so with that said people it has been a pleasure being the honorary host on the white room william this platform is awesome i'm looking forward to all of the interviews miss fox i just i i, I want to see you on be the change as well Miss K, I want to see you on the white room after your own Be The Change and WCEG. And everybody who watch and tunes in, I mean, look, you're in for a treat right here. Because now you get to bear it all out. But you're not bearing it out in front of an individual who's going to judge you or condemn you. But it's in the presence of the Lord at all times. For when two or more gather to, uh, together in agreement, then he's here in the white room. So I take off my honorary host hat. It's back to you, Will. This has been a pleasure, bro. Hey, thank you so much, man. And I pray that this has definitely been a blessing to everybody that listens and views now or later. And for those who are still tuned in, thank you so much for tuning in the entire time. It's the homie, the one and only Ashton Reynolds. All right, my head is off, bro. We'll end this, man. Thank you so much for the honor, bro. It was truly an honor and a pleasure to do it. Anytime I got you, man. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It's the neighborhood big bro, Willow. And I thank each and every one of you for tuning in to the white room. Listen, man, I spread the word. Spread the word. That's all I ask. Spread the word. Spread the word. I'm not looking for likes. I'm not looking to be famous. I'm not looking for clouts. That's not what we're here for. I just solely want to help win souls back to Christ. I just Amen. solely want to help someone receive healing, someone get saved, someone be delivered. That's all I want. I want to do my father's work, my father's will. That's what I'm placed here for, to serve him. And I cannot do that without his love. I love each and every last one of you for the love of the Lord in me. I thank you so much for tuning in. It's been a long interview, almost two hours. But I can truly say it is absolute it has absolutely been worth it because this was such a release for me. I released pain. And in this interview, believe it or not, my brother, the Lord used you tonight to help me receive my healing that I need. Because what I can about. truly say I am fully healed. I'm fully recovered from wow. what it is that I've been hanging on to, what it is that I've been battling, what it is that I've been silently fighting while I'm alone. Wow. And I thank you so much, brother. May the Lord continue to grant you an overflow of his grace, 
and his mercy. And may his goodness and mercy continue to follow you all the days of your life. May he continue to bless your household, bless your home, continue to speak to you, guide you, and counsel you. And anything, any weapon that comes to stand before you, it shall not prosper. Any wall that is built up before you that is meant to stop you from entering, we pray, we speaking against it right now. That the Lord will use your voice, just like He did with the uh, with the walls of Jericho. That He will use your voice, and that wall shall shall crumble. That wall shall fall. It will be no more. That when people see you, they don't see you for you. They see God in you. That wherever you may go, and what anytime your voice is being spoken that they hear the voice of God flowing through you. We pouring that right back into you right now, this very moment, brother, in the mighty name of Jesus. And I appreciate and I thank and I am grateful and I am honored for the Lord speaking to you to be on this platform tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Oh man, boy. Why won't make me tear up over here, man? I thank God for you, man, for real. Like everything that you do, man, everything that you pour out, I pray in the name of Jesus that it gets poured back into you a hundred times fold, ten thousand times fold. Because it just do exceedingly and abundantly inside of your life, man, because of the fact that you are obedient to the assignment that He had given you. And it's not for you, but it's for his glory to be shown to other individuals to draw them to Christ. That's a beautiful, honorable task and purpose that we both share. And it's a pleasure to be a partner on this walk, to not only just walk there and work with you, but to also be a crutch whenever you need it, to be a listening ear whenever you need it, to cry with you whenever you need it, to keep you sharpened whenever you need it, to build you up whenever you need it, to hold you up whenever you need it, to, to tell you, hey, bro, sit back. I got this whenever you need it, and much, much more, for this is only the beginning. We've done so much, bro. And I know if people sit there and just think about all that we've done thus far, they'll be like, man, y'all truly have done a lot, but this ain't nothing but the tip of the iceberg, man, because what we're doing is bigger than us. And I know that as we're doing this work, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is interceding on our behalf to the Heavenly Father to ensure that this thing is done in decency and in order with the intent to show people exactly why the blessed side be the best side. Straight up. So it's an honor, bro. Thank you so much, man. I'm truly humbled. And I'm just so thankful that you have a teachable spirit I have a teachable spirit because I got my comfortable seat in the presence of the Father, receiving and feasting on the daily bread so I shall not hunger anymore and drinking that water so I don't thirst no more because he has already kept us sufficient thanks to that grace, that covenant of grace. Bro, I love you, man. I love you too, brother. Yes, sir. What's going on, great people? It is out of home of the one and only Ashton Reynolds, and I had to come back to personally thank you for tuning in to episode two of the Be The Change podcast, which is actually a very special episode as I served as the honorary host 
interviewing William Lowe on his own platform entitled The White Room. The White Room, what is that? <laughs> I'm glad you asked. It is a platform created by William Lowe under the instruction and direction of God for those individuals of all walks of life to share their testimony with the sole intent to win souls for the kingdom. Through their testimony, they're displaying the true definition of God, which is love. That's right, people. Love is clearly defined because love is God. And we understand that we have been experiencing some traumatic times together. And people are looking left and right for answers, not knowing that God is the answer. I'm so glad that William Lowe allowed for me to interview him and that this interview is now on our platform because I know who William Lowe was. A lot of people might see themselves in William Lowe's past, meaning that they feel alone, meaning that they feel misunderstood, meaning that they're going through some things mentally that will not allow them to rest. Well, I'm here to let you know right now that if you want to hit us up for prayer, if you need somebody to talk to, all of that, feel free to reach out to us because we didn't create these platforms for prosperity or for fame or for notoriety. We didn't create these platforms just for you to get gems for your business to thrive. If you are suffering, we feel it. We have compassion. We love you. And we want to see you succeed in all aspects of life. How do I know that? Because God wants to do that. Because that's why through Jesus Christ, you inherit the righteousness to receive salvation. In Greek, it's soteria, which means total life prosperity. So with that said, not only take note of what was said in this interview, but take note of the contact information in case you need it. It's the homie, the one and only Ashton Reynolds. I love you with the love of God, always and forever. I'm out.